0: guys, Aaron and I are very happy to have Mike here tonight. Mike played in college and is a 4.5 player. A cool fact about him is that he grew up playing tennis with James and Thomas Blake. I wanted to mention that this is not my husband, Mike. This is actually our good friend Charity's husband, who is also named Mike. I just wanted to clarify that. Um, So Aaron, can you start us off with the first question?
1: what kind of advice would you give to adult players so I did not start playing until I was an adult I started when I was 40 I'd never even touched a racket until then I'm assuming you grew up playing and then played in college do you have some advice that you would give to adult players who are just starting out I
2: actually started off playing tennis when I was eight years old and then from there it kind of escalated into just playing more and more and then I ended up enjoying the sport but at the same time, I did play other sports, which was nice too, so I was kind of well-rounded. It's a great sport to get out there, to socialize, and you don't have to be a 4-5 or a 5 player. You're fine being a two-zero, a 2-5 player just starting out. It's something that you can go out, you can have fun, you can socialize, you can meet new people. I do have to say, the one great thing about the Raleigh area, and when I mean Raleigh, I'm talking about Durham, Cary, the whole area, is the people are generally really nice and they're really welcoming. So it makes it a lot easier to kind of get started playing the sport. And it's a sport that you don't have to play every day. You can play it in the mornings, early mornings. You can play it late at night. You can play it underneath the lights. So it's just a good outlet for people to just go out and try it. And you could try it with your family, too. It doesn't necessarily have to be lessons. I mean, we get our kids out there. We go out there. We have fun. They run around. We run around. So I just think it's wonderful.
0: Has being a college player had any downside? Now that you're playing recreational tennis, for me personally,
2: I don't think it has. Um, I know some of the players that I did play with college. You know, they're a little upset because they don't play at that level anymore. But for me, after college, you know, at a certain point, that you can't pursue this professionally. It's just not a career for you. So the sooner you come to terms with that, the easier it is. <laughs> and for me, it, it's more of a, a social game, a social aspect, and just to have fun so that's always been instilled in me at a young age and i think for kids of the younger generation or even the newer generation they really need to understand that
0: yeah
1: definitely yeah that's kind of a big thing with our podcast too and i think we're learning that for every conversation we have the whole point of us all being out there is to have fun it's to be competitive but it's also lifetime sport. Um, we have to keep in perspective that, you know, we're out there to be social and burn some calories and hopefully play a sport that we enjoy and, like you said, a social outlet and uh, just be able to play it long term.
2: Yeah, I mean, and that's it exactly. To me, there's a time and place for that, right? If you're doing UTR and there's a $2,500 purse at the end of this right. and you pay your entry <laughs> fee, then it's a different story. It's very competitive. <laughs> and I you get that aspect of the game. but. When you're playing USTA, you're out there to get exercise, you're out there to have fun. And I can understand that there is a little competitive edge, but no one is playing a tournament. It's not playing for prize at the end. You know, it, it's just there to get exercise and have fun. And maybe you learn some new tricks while you're out there on the court.
1: <laughs> right.
0: So, Mike, my very long term goal is to get bumped to four or five. Do you enjoy being a four or five?
2: No, for me at a four or five level, I mean, I love the players, I love all the guys, and I love all the women at the four or five level. They're absolutely wonderful. But you're you're limited with who you play with and who you see, right? Yeah. At that three five or four level, it's just the sweet spot for USA because there's so many people in that level at a four or five male and female level. If you mention someone's name, they typically know each other. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we all know each other. So
1: yeah, I played a woman yeah. two weeks ago, a four or five. And she said, it's really silly when we go to States because we literally end up playing all the same people that we just played. They just travel to different locations and spend extra money to do it.
2: That is the only downside, right? So right. as you, what you want to do, right? You want to improve, you want to get better, but you want right. to, you want to stay within that, that sweet spot.
0: What was it like playing with James and Thomas Blake?
2: I know everybody always asked me that question, and I was <laughs> I was fortunate. I grew up in Fairfield, Connecticut. Tom and James grew up there. I went to junior high and high school with both of them. You know, we did the the college circuit in the mornings. My parents would take me to the Fairfield Bubble, which was a tennis facility from you know five am to six thirty am every morning during a set time and we would be there and then we would go back after school and, you know, James and Thomas would always be there. So for me, it was a true highlight because, I mean, they both were amazing a- athletes, but James at such a young age, you know, when I would be a junior or senior, James would be a freshman and he was winning tournaments. He wasn't just winning them, you know, four and four, he was love and love. So zero, zero, and he was oh, yeah. meeting people at his age, which was a young adolescent, I mean people that were in a collegiate level, so at that point, you know that this person has a career in tennis, for sure. and his brother was the same way. It's just I don't think that Thomas ever chose to go that route, but I mean, who wouldn't want to play with someone that good, right?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I mean,
2: I didn't view it as you know something that was bad. It was always positive to me because yes, he would kick my butt every time, but look who you're playing with. I mean, you're playing with someone who's exponentially better. And is four or five years younger than me. And it's just amazing.
0: Did you ever beat him? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I was going to ask that too.
2: (laughs) I know. And I don't, I think maybe I would have gotten a set or two off of him, but I don't think I've ever won. (laughs) Yeah. I would definitely say a set, but outside of that, no. I I was
0: just thinking maybe uh, he'd have a bad day or not really care.
2: And you know, at that level, even the bad days are good days. The toughest people that he competed against, I mean, they ended up going pro also. But, I mean, you're talking like two and three or three and four. And, I mean, the the matches would be over so fast. It was just incredible. (laughs) You know, and his parents were just phenomenal. And they're just outstanding, outstanding human beings. Humble, Mm -hmm. down to earth, you know, well-rounded sportsmanship and just all-around good person. I mean, that just makes the athlete so much better, right? Right, right. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys have had a chance to um, read his book, but if you haven't, just pick it up because his life story and his struggles are just incredible. You know, growing up, he had scoliosis. So he would wear a full body brace, like from his stomach all the way up to his chest, his shoulders. So when he was not playing tennis, that brace would be on. And when he was, it would be off. So just... An amazing read if you ever have have time to pick it up off the shelves.
0: Mike, do you know the title of the book?
2: Actually, the title of this book is Breaking Back, How I Lost Everything and Won Back My Life.
0: I'm going to make sure to get that book. And I'll also put the title in the show notes in case anyone listening would like to get it as well. Mike, thank you so much for doing this tonight.
2: So happy you guys are doing this. I mean, we listen to it all the time. I think it's Aww. great. I think it's wonderful for people who have been in the sport for a long time and for beginners. So, I mean, keep it up.
0: Oh, thanks, Mike. We appreciate. Mean, we really appreciate only, it.
2: Tennis is only gonna. It's only gonna be more of a popular sport, so it'll keep going up and up.
1: So. Yeah. yeah. And there's yeah. always a good tennis story.
2: Yes. Yes. The Which, stories don't of, end. <laughs> speaking of that, I have one good story I will leave you with. So I yes. do have to say. I mean, even throughout my collegiate level, this has to be the worst call I've probably ever seen in my career, and it happened last year. We had split the sets. So we had gone to a 10-point tiebreaker. We were up 9-8 in the tiebreaker, and my partner just served an ace, and the opponent called a footfall. And I looked at him, and I said, are you serious? He said, yeah, it was a footfall. I said, in recreation tennis, you're going to call a footfall. He goes, yep. I said, okay. And then, so that really got me heated because, I mean, technically we should have won the match, and I was like, you know – if you guys don't mind, I want to stop for a second because I need to understand this. I'm like, we're up 9-8. My partner just served an ace. Why would you call a football? And then he started yelling.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. So yeah. long the short of that, we ended up losing the match.
1: <laughs> oh, I was going to ask. So
0: what was the yeah, outcome? My... That's crazy. So,
2: I just thought that that yeah. was absolutely nuts. That was just yeah. absolutely That's... crazy. So Did... sure That's enough, when... two weeks later, I had to play him again. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thanks again to Mike for being on the podcast. Aaron and I had a great time talking with him. I really liked how he discussed how you don't win any money for doing this. So you really are out there just to get exercise and have fun. And as he said, maybe learn some new tricks. The other thing that he mentioned that I had never really thought about before was that there aren't a lot of players at four five. So I should really enjoy being in the sweet spot of three five, four oh. And that way, I can constantly play new players. I also looked at the USTA rules on calling foot faults. And on page 39 of the code number 24, it addresses it. And it said, the receivers or the receiver's partner may call foot faults only after all reasonable efforts, such as warning the server and attempting to get an official to the court have failed. And the foot fault is so flagrant as to be clearly perceptible from the receiver's side. So Mike was completely right. It was ridiculous for him his opponent to call a foot fault when um, he was up 9-8 in a tiebreaker and his teammate served an ace. I would love to hear if that has happened to anyone else. Please message us on our Facebook page, which is Second Serve Podcast, or email us at at yahoo.com. Thanks so much for listening and hope to see you on the court soon.